Welcome, everybody. Good morning to Timberwood. Glad to see you here today. And we invite you to stand up and let's all sing together. We're singing, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. I am washed, I am washed, I am drenched in love. Also,
That's what she was saying, or he was saying back there. Woohoo! Uh, welcome to Timberwood Church. My name is Eric Holtz. Great to be with you today. It's so good to be here. I was with you at home last week, literally. I experienced what you experienced. See, when you're here live, you don't realize all that goes into the online stream and the mass chaos that exists when we lose video or audio or words and all the feedback we get. You miss it. So I see you at home. I love you. I'm glad you're with us online. Um, a few things. If you've got a junior hire, today is the deadline to sign up for the um, fall retreat. You're like, oh, yeah, my kids don't tell me anything. That's okay. You're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, you'll want to make sure you get that taken care of. Talk to Aiden. Um, also, this card you find in your, pro in your program. Your program. We don't have programs anymore. <sighs> in your seat back in front of you. Uh, please, we do, we do still uh, take care of these and, and take great care of them. So if you've got uh, some information, we'd love for you to fill this out, put it in the offering uh, in the baskets on the tables at the back when you leave. Uh, if you've got a prayer request, you can uh, put it on the back of this card and drop it in, in those baskets when you leave as well. If you are at home, as I was, you can go online and fill out a prayer request via the Internet. Uh, timberwoodchurch.org. So um, if you're interested, I, I know we are, um, Wednesday nights have started about at a tortoise pace. And if you're at home and you want to join in on a virtual discussion group, this is the last time I'm going to invite you. After today, no more invitation. So virtual discussion groups, please email me directly. So it'd be great. Great to have all of you here. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning, and it is a joy to be together. It is a joy to be together, whether we are here physically or whether we are gathered virtually from our homes or wherever we find ourselves. The mystery of communion and fellowship, as we talked about on Wednesday nights, is so important and we know the power of your spirit can bring us together in a way that nothing else can. And so this morning we come together to experience the joy that comes through fellowshipping with fellow followers of your son, Jesus Christ. And we desire so greatly to be transformed by your spirit in a way that allows us allows us to experience the fullness of life, allows us to experience the challenges that we face in a way that is not overwhelming, that allows us to go out into this world proclaiming your good news, affirming the truth that when you say something, it will happen. We come into your presence, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move among us this morning. Transform our hearts. Transform our minds. Move in our midst. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, let's praise the Lord together that his mercy is new every morning. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, his mercy
I am 
arms of Christ, my Lord. Please be seated. Have you ever experienced extraordinary results through un, uh, well, unrealized or unexpected means? So it was about a bunch of years ago, actually 14, 15, 16 years ago. We're coming back from Florida. It's the four of us. So it's Tanya, it's William, it's Anna, it's me. Uh, Will was probably four or five, which put Anna at one or two or somewhere in that neck of the woods. And... Um, at that time, let's just say that Anna wasn't the biggest fan of traveling. She's changed in that, that perspective. At any rate, so we're, we're at the gate, and we realize that even though we're a family of four, we're not sitting together. And it seems as though through some bit of fate or luck, depending upon your perspective, William, okay, the youngest member of the crew, had just recently signed up for a uh, frequent flyer program and had been bumped up to the front of the plane. And I'm like, well, well how does that work, you know? And, and I'm thinking, you know, here we have, you know, a young son, a young daughter. I mean, if, if, if anyone deserves to be bumped up to the front of the plane, it's me. I mean, actually, I thought Tanya. So I said, hey, give me the boarding passes. I, I walked up to the gate, and, and I, I talked to the gate agent, Delta, and, and she said, um, I said, see this problem? My son, who's age four, got bumped up to the front of the plane, first class. Doesn't seem as though we need a four-year-old in first class. Is there any way, any way we could just switch seats? Put, put Tanya in William's seat and put William in Tanya's seat. And then the three of us, William, John and Anna would be sitting together in the back of the plane, and, and Tanya would be enjoying the luxuries and uh, the living in the lap of luxury in the front of the plane. The gate agent listened to my well-thought-out request, and I was polite. I wasn't angry. I wasn't frustrated. If you're ever working with a gate agent, if you ever fly again, <laughs> be nice. She said, I think we can fix that. Years ago, there were stools in my kitchen, okay, stools in the kitchen, right? And we had made this center island, okay, that a friend of us had, had really constructed for us and a piece of stone on top, and we were getting stools to go around the island, right? And, and what I wanted was I wanted a stool that you could just like swing a leg over and just sit on, okay, a stool without a back. But what we wanted was stools with backs. That's a, that's a reasonable, reasonable thing to say, Right? So we went to room and board outlet, roughly 55 and 100, a little bit east of there, and, and we found four stools that had backs. Last week in the Tigger exuberance, remember the Tigger exuberance? That was so much fun. I forgot tapas. I totally forgot it. Did you forget it? I totally spaced it out, and so we need two this week. One is Polpo, okay? I haven't seen Polpo on many restaurants in Minnesota. Uh, basically what it is, Polpo is the Spanish word for, please, octopus, thank you very much. And what they do is they boil the octopus and then they cut it and then they sprinkle it with paprika and uh, toss it in a little olive oil and it's just absolutely amazing. So pulpo, number one, if you get it, if you see it, grab it. It is absolutely amazing. The second one is tortilla de patata, okay? You might imagine that it's a tortilla made of patata, Potatoes? Yeah, right on, right on, okay? Except it's less of a tortilla like we think of a tortilla and more like a potato omelet. And I remember having this particular dish. Actually, it was early in the morning because they also serve it for breakfast as well as an evening thing. Second day on the Camino, I woke up to two inches of fresh, snowing heavily, and I come into this little tiny town and I smell, I smell this smell and it's amazing and it just like, just transports me through the door and in this kitchen, 
which was a restaurant but looked more like the kitchen of a house, in a house, there was fresh coffee and tortilla de patata. All right, what else do we have to talk about? Memory work. This time, this week, the quiz is at the front of the hour. So if you're at home, get ready. Memory verse from week one was what? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, memory work number two. That was Philippians 1-2. Philippians 1-8 is? And how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Yep, excellent. And memory work from last week was what? And I pray that your love may abound more and more. So, let's get into it. Verse 12. Chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers and sisters. Now, sometimes we say brothers and sisters and we just want to bring 21st sensibilities into the Bible. But, but literally, the Paul, word that Paul is using means brothers and sisters. Okay, He's not referring just to brothers. And he is saying brothers and sisters. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Do you realize that everything, everything, is an opportunity for the work of God to go forward? In fact, I would argue that a mark, not the only mark, but a mark of the follower of Jesus Christ is whether or not, in a given instance, they can see redemption. They can see the redemptive work of Christ or how a situation can be redeemed. Again, a critical theme in the book of Philippians for Paul is Jesus is curios, Jesus is soter. Okay, Jesus is curios, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Soter. Jesus is Savior. Now, this was against the common frame of the day in which Caesar was declared to be Kyrios. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Soter. Caesar is Savior. And Paul is saying, no, it's not Caesar. It's Jesus. And here, through unexpected means... These extraordinary results, the imperial guard, which is why most, some argue that Paul is in Rome in prison, imperial guard, imperial palace. Paul is saying, I am being imprisoned for Christ. And everybody knows it. Imprisonment equals chains. Is there the reality that Paul is in prison for Christ and also a prisoner to Christ? Certainly he doesn't mean that here, but I think it's a legitimate thought. We take what we experience as the norm. We have this ability to meet, really, without government restriction. I mean, we enjoy unrestricted access, the ability to have discourse about things of faith in ways that is almost breathtaking. But, and this has not always been the case, Right? Through the history of Christianity, there has been many times. In fact, today, there's many places in the world where, where the freedom to express and do what we're doing in a public way would invite reprisals from various groups. 
I would add, if you really want to understand how the gospel grows, then look at times in history where it has been repressed, where it has been oppressed. A few years ago, this was probably about 20 years ago, I'm in the Czech Republic, right? And, and we're doing this missions trip. And um, um, it was before I came to Timberwood. And I'm sitting with this couple, okay? And they had experienced um, um, when the Czech Republic was under communistic rule. And to meet publicly was to invite horrible, horrible things to happen to you. And, and so I, I was talking with this couple. I'm in their home sharing their meal. And I said, how amazing it must be to live in a time where you're free to worship Jesus in any way that you want. And the wife looked at the husband, and the husband looked at the wife, and they both spoke excellent English. And the glance wasn't what I thought it would be, you know? You know, I kind of thought it would be like, yeah, we're free, you know, like that, you know, like, yeah, woohoo, you know? And, and finally, finally, the husband said, you know, it, true, we, we enjoy being free, but, but, when, but when we were under communistic rule, being a follower of Christ meant something. And I'm in their kitchen eating their food, but the whole room goes quiet. Because they said something incredibly profound. Something that I think Paul understands. And, and something, quite frankly, I don't think we as Western Christians totally get. If I can push us a little bit, I think we're a little soft. At any rate, what is thought of as a step back? You have an evangelist, Paul, being imprisoned. Anyone looking at that situation would be, finally we got this thing called faith in Jesus Christ under control. We got it in prison. And Paul's like, no, this is no step back. This is the way forward. Paul, a chess piece, moved into position to advance, even though his physical life would be sacrificed. But was it? Did Paul really lose anything? Perhaps only if we think physical life is the most important thing. It's not to Paul. It's not to Paul. An absolute godfather of the Christian faith puts his life up against the cause of Christ and says the cause of Christ is everything. Fee puts it like this. Gordon Fee, he's one of the commentators we're using as we move through Philippians. Fee puts it like this. Here is how, referring to Paul's attitude, here is how one for whom Christ and the gospel are uppermost responds to adversity. How do we respond to it? How do I respond to adversity? Do I demand my rights? Do I, do I make an impassioned plea for how I'm right and the system is wrong? And please understand, this starts at home. Your spouse challenges you, maybe wrongly, most likely rightly, especially if you're a male. And what happens next? I mean, is it, is it, is it a death to self or a fight to the death? Through unexpected means, the gospel of Jesus Christ moves forward in Paul's life. And we often say, especially after something hard and almost not understandable has happened, well, God had a plan. And I know what we mean. And I'm not saying that that is not true. 
But, but I'm asking us to sharpen our theology just a little bit. I want us to argue, or I want to argue, in any situation, no matter how painful, less about the causation, how did this happen, why did this happen, and more focus on the results, that in any situation, no matter how painful, no matter how powerful, there exists the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to take something that was absolutely terrible and get the individual through to the other side. Can we look at life, not in terms of God causing everything, and I don't want to lose God being in control, so don't hear me wrong, but can we look at all of life in terms of God redeeming and wanting to redeem all of our lives, all of our situations. And at the end of all things, a new heaven and a new earth, all things redeemed. The text goes on, verse 14. And most of, my, most of the brothers, again, brothers and sisters, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without any fear. What's the worst can happen? Have you ever asked that question? What's the worst that can happen? I try to swim across the lake. What's the worst that can happen? Well, you can drown, I suppose. Death? Is that the worst that can happen? Being imprisoned? Is that the worst that can happen? Paul's like, nope, that's not the worst. Paul says, because of what I am experiencing, others are gladly taking a stand. Again, the stand isn't a stand to change the political discourse in the first century. It's a stand describing and, and advocating for Jesus as what? Jesus as Lord, Kyrios. Jesus as Savior. Jesus as Soter. Brothers and sisters, again, confidence in the Lord. To boldly speak about Jesus. And Paul, in a powerful way, creates this expectation through his writings, consistent with the rest of the New Testament, consistent with the teachings and life of Jesus. That if the lead dog gets wet, the rest of the team probably gets wet. If Christ suffered, Paul anticipates that he will suffer and creates the reality that those who follow him, as in come after him, but follow Jesus Christ, will also suffer. Again, we don't like this. <laughs> no one likes to suffer. We, we make our lives as pain-free as possible. I have a headache, I pipe, pop ibuprofen. Paul was being accused by others that were saying, you're not who you say you are. Man, that happens to us. Oh, we fight. Current issue, rather, this last week, there was an article in the New York Times it was by Blair Braverman. Blair is actually a woman. Um, she uh, was born in California, moved out of California when she was 19, then to Norway, Alaska. And now my understanding is that she lives in northern Wisconsin, so Dairyland Diary. So she's author of this book that I can't fully express the title because of a word in the title. She's author of Welcome to the GD, you get my refrain, Ice Cube. 
chasing fear and finding home in the great white north, okay? So she hates the cold, but she loves the cold. And so she's wrote in this book. At any rate, she writes this article that it's entitled, What My Sled Dogs Taught Me About Planning for the Unknown. She starts off with saying, here's the thing about sled dogs. They never know how far they're going to run. As a musher, the human driver of a dog sled team, this is one of my main challenges. There are many ways in which my dogs know more than me. I used to be a dedicated planner, she goes on to say. I knew what I'd do every day, weeks in advance. Having a plan made me feel confident. But what I learned was the plans, when I made them, were nothing but a sketch. The only thing I needed to count on was that the dogs and I would make decisions along the way. She writes, one of the most surprising things about distance mushing is the need to front load rest. You're four hours into a four-day race, and the dogs are charging down the trail, leaning into their momentum, barely getting started. And then despite their enthusiasm, it's time to stop. Make straw beds in the snow, take off your dog's booties, build a fire, heat up some meat stew for the team, but you can have some too, and rest for a few hours. The dogs might not even sit down. They're howling, antsy to keep going. It doesn't matter. You rest. Four hours later, you rest again. But resting early anticipates your dog's needs. Does something even more important than that. It builds trust. A sled dog learns that by the time she is hungry, her musher has already prepared a meal. By the time she's tired, she has a warm bed. If she's cold, you have a coat or blanket for her. If she's thirsty, you have water. And it's this security, this trust, that lets her pour herself into the journey, give the trail everything she has without worrying about what comes next. You can't make a sled dog run 100 miles. But if the dog knows you've got her back, she'll run because she wants to, because she burns to. She'll bring you along for the ride. And then she makes the transition, and I don't know that Blair is a follower of Christ. But listen for the threads. What this means for people, for us, is that we can't just plan to take care of ourselves later. We shouldn't expect to catch up on sleep when we really crash or to reach out to loved ones after we're struck by loneliness. We should ask for support before we need it. We should support others before they ask. Doesn't that sound like community? Because if you don't know how far you're going, you need to act like you're going forever. Planning for forever is essentially impossible which can actually be freeing. It brings you back into the present. Didn't Jesus say something about live today? She asked the question, how long will this pandemic last? Right now, that's irrelevant. What matters is eating a nourishing meal, telling someone you love them, walking your dog, getting enough to sleep. What matters is that to the degree that you can, you make your own life sustainable every day. Sled dogs can run further in a shorter time than almost any other animal, but they only think as far ahead as they can see, hear, and smell. Paul is creating this expectation, right? Here is what life is going to be like. Here is what you may encounter. It may be the most devastating week of your life, and you can get through this. Why? Because of the power of Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Kyrios. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Soter. And we can't lose sight of that. We need to live with that perspective, not about what's going to happen tomorrow, but today. Paul has this allegiance that is beyond breathtaking. The time goes on. We must quickly get to our memory work for today.
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Verse 15, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there's groups of folks in the first century, some who don't like Paul, big shock, some who are aligned, but both groups of people are, are telling about Jesus. Who's this group that's aligned against Paul? We, we don't know. Paul doesn't explain, just acknowledges the reality, and I kind of like that. Some are doing it for love, and some are doing it for self, wanting to hurt Paul. The motives. What are our motives for doing what we do? Have you ever examined your motives? What are your motives for doing what you do? What are my motives for doing what I do? How I relate to my spouse, how I relate to my kids, how I relate to my friends, how I relate to my job, how I relate to the world around me. What's my motives? Is it for the cause of Christ? Is it to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ? Or is it self? And and invariably, when I get in trouble, if I'm honest, it's because I've been pursuing self. Could it be, as much as anything else, a setup for, for future discussions in just a few verses about the divisions that exist within the church at Philippi? A division that, that draws a line, a barrier between self or love of Christ. And even if we disagree with someone, can we trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in that person's life? Our final verse for the day, guess which our memory verse is? It's right here. What then? Good question. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What then? Only that in every way, whether in true, pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Christ is proclaimed. Jesus is Kyrios. Jesus is Soter. Paul is like, what then? (laughs) You like me? You don't like me? I don't care. Paul's like, I will gladly carry whatever when at the end of the day or the beginning of the day or the middle of the day. You can put anything you want on my shoulders. You can give me any amount of heat you want as long as you can be my best friend. Whatever you want to do, as long as Christ is proclaimed, I will gladly, gladly walk this pathway. And our acuity needs to be drawn to this reality that even in Paul's present situation, prison. And I can imagine Paul, okay? You know, I would be in prison and I'd be like, okay, how am I going to get out? We talked about this last week. Pray for my release in case I'm ever indicted. I had one guy write a prayer request that, that prayed that I would never get into prison, which I agree with. I pray that too. I pray I never do anything that would deserve going to prison. So, but, you know, that's a different story. But I think Paul's itching, right? I I think he's absolutely jazzed and ready for the day when he appears, okay? When he appears before Caesar, when he appears before Nero, 
The Caesar at the time was Nero. And Nero looks at him and says, why are you here? Paul says three words. Jesus is curious. And what that will do what that will do to a ruler who is one of the worst people who have ever lived and what Paul will get he'll get what he's always wanted to depart and be with Christ Jesus and isn't that a refreshing take on life all the stuff that we think matters pales in comparison to proclaiming Jesus Christ. So we're at the gate, right? You know, and I walk back with these four new boarding passes and I look at them and I don't even know what to do with what I'm looking at because it seems so odd, right? Tanya's like, hey, how'd it go? And I'm like, um, I think we all got upgraded to first class. She's like, cool. Extraordinary results through unexpected means. The life of Paul in prison to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, let us take comfort in the day and age in which we live that your Son, Jesus, is Lord. Jesus is Kyrios. Let us draw encouragement from the fact that Jesus is salvation. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Soter. And may we calibrate our lives based on what is truly important and not lose sight. Even though we're surrounded by a world that is, that is filled with anxiety and uncertainty and vitriol, But our confidence is in you, Lord. It's in the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Remind us of that reality. And enable us, if we've never said yes to Jesus, to cry out to, to the Lord of all and say, I want you as my Savior. I want you as my Lord. I want you as my friend. I invite you to please stand and let's sing as we close today.
I just love that song. That's like one of my favorite songs that we do. And I, um, what, what then, Paul says, what then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Go with that challenge in Jesus' name. Amen.